Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Uplink confirmed. Begin transmission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of After Eleanor. With you today is my co-host, Greg Dan. Hello, everyone. And introducing us, as usual, is Mr. David Whitek. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Uh, so, feedback. I bet you guys all thought we were... Well, no, you, you read the title, you knew we weren't doing Battle for the Abyss yet. Oh, sorry about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while. We'll um, we'll probably go into the reasons for that in the next, in the first part of the Battle for the Abyss show. Well, okay, here, I got one, though. I'm gonna, let me get my, my one in, the one that really grabbed me, and then we can go into some of the feedback that you saw here. Um, we got it from Maybrick on our forums. Uh, I was talking about the natural resources necessary you know, to uh, to uh, produce all this, you know, these just this all the shells and all the bullets and all the other stuff for the war. Um, he points out sixteen psyche is one asteroid in our solar system, has a mass of two point two seven times ten to the nineteenth kilos, which is thought to be mostly iron nickel. Uh, further exploration gives us the largest probably gun ever fired by humans, uh, which is one of the giant German guns from World War II. It could fire shells weighing seven tons. Okay. <laughs> the scale of this is oddly very 40K, as they put it. So seven tons is 6,350 kilos, uh, which a bit of calculator fun later that tells just one asteroid could make Three five seven four eight zero three one four nine six zero six two nine nine two one shells. That's uh, wait one thousand million billion trillion quadrillion. Yeah, three hundred and fifty-seven quadrillion uh, shells of that size. I'm no mathematician. I don't doubt this. Fi- I don't, and I don't doubt this figure is not entirely accurate. But I suspect we could say one rich, iron-rich asteroid could both make a couple of million gigantic cannons and provide the materials for the shells. Essentially, indefinitely, the Imperium would only need access to a few dozen of such asteroids to not be short of iron, pretty much ever. Um. So I was like, wow, never thought about that. Never really. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, someone went back and did the math and was like, nope, they could totally, totally have enough with just a few few large asteroids. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was, let me have a little, because someone replied. Okay. Uh, burning Halo replied on that thread. Okay. Here we go. Uh, During the 
through the trenches in the Battle of the Somme, each day close to 300,000 artillery shells were fired. Uh, 20 million artillery shells by the end of the battle five months later. Um, and you look at, it's a 40k fight, but you look at the regiments of the Death Corps of Krieg and the Astra Militarium, they fought a siege that lasted 10 years. So, you times that 20 million by 12 by 10. Um, and that's just one part of the Imperial, uh, the Astra Militarum in 40k. Yeah. So that's one regiment when there are hundreds and hundreds of regiments because we're not just talking about the Space Marines of which there are a few million or whatever, however many. Um, we're, we're talking about the whole of the the Imperial Army and what later becomes the Imperial Navy. And, I mean, he's got, um, he's got a rough estimation on that of being... Uh, one billion sh- artillery shells, basically. Yeah, for that one, that one, uh, one fight, that one siege on one planet. Okay, right. Uh, but then, like I said, we turn around, and for the for the giant, those giant ordnance shells, not just the bullets. He's talking about a billion bullets for that ten year siege, um, and that one asteroid would make. What you said, a quadrillion? So you're talking yep, no, no, one million yeah. times that on yeah. that one asteroid. So it's like, wow, okay, they kind of, you know, I mean, granted, you they're still going from place to place and using a lot, I mean. Yeah, so know. the Death Corps Creek at the end of the day are a small, well, they're not a small force, but they're, they're part of, just one part of many right. of the army. Um, you've got hundreds of crusade fleets during the, Crusade, the Great right. Crusade. There are hundreds of them. Um, you've got all the, you've got the, uh, so you've got the Imperial forces. You've got the Mechanicum using stuff as well. You've got the Astartes. You've got all the spaceships, and, uh-huh. and the scale of those ordnance goes up to the size of buildings. Um, and you've got Titan legions, Knight households, right? You've got specific elements of the Imperial army which are specialists. It's um. It's still, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that 100 billion, I mean, there's, in 40k, what is it, a million worlds and all that. It's um, it's billions upon billions upon billions of people. Right. No, it's, it is pretty it's, cool, though, because with all that, you know, there's got to be, I mean, that we're talking, I mean, how many millions of asteroids could they find like that, you know? And they would have to, yeah. Yeah, they would have to. Because that's without, but, that's just ammo, that's without making the guns, isn't it? And, and building the ships. And, right. It's yeah. just, you know, it's there. The, yeah, it took the, the Imperial while to make the Death Star. Right. <laughs> but the materials are there. It's just a question of, you know, it, I think I think he said, he goes, it, you know, acquisition is a driving, yeah, that's the search and acquisition of raw materials is a driving force of the Imperium. But don't they have entire planets just, de- I mean, they got entire planets dedicated just to making munitions. So you, you hear stuff like that. You know, when yeah. I first started reading this, it's like, this is a planet that just makes bullets. And you're like, really? The whole damn planet? Like, that you need a whole damn planet just... And you're like, oh, crap, they're going to need lots of planets just to make bullets. But they, they've they got... I mean, when you've got millions of planets, I suppose... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very rare that it's that specialised. You'll have a forge world, and that forge world will create guns and bullets and armour and right. everything to then kit out 
a certain area of space. But yeah, so one planet will be a forge world and that's all it will do. Um, and we'll see that with, um, Mechanicum, how Mars has changed. Uh, they also have agri planets and all they're there to do is provide food for the whole system they're fighting in. Right. They're situated in. And, and that'll be it. It'll be, oh, this place is lovely and verdant and green. That's it. No one but farmers are going to live here and maybe a few troops just to make sure the farmers are doing as they're told. <laughs> And that, that is the nature of the beast of, of 40k. Keep on farming. Indeed. Oh, God. It's like a, it's like a bizarre sim city or, or civilization on, 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 a, on a ridiculous scale. Exactly. It was, um, I mean, that was a point brought up by a couple of people, actually. It was the scale of it. And someone saying they don't particularly like the scale. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think, I think, the whole of 40k, 30k would be such a vastly different environment if you had this small humanity trying to go out there. You, you just, it, it would be incomprehensible to me to have a small scale Imperium that didn't yeah. have gigantic big robots because at the end of the day, there would always kind of be the underdog. And even though they are being hard-pressed, they can still go into a fight and go, right, on this planet, right now, I've bought an Imperator Titan and, you know, two households of knights and all my ordnance, and actually with a big dog. Yeah. I mean, you have to be. It's like, you know, sometimes, I, I you know, it's just, at first when I'm reading it, it's shocking, and then you start to sit down and actually look at the just, it's like, well, they're conquering the galaxy, that's a big damn galaxy. You know, you got to have something on a scale that's just absurd. I mean, even when you talk about now, like if you listen to stuff, like I've actually been, I remember watching this thing about if we were actually going to colonize another planet. Just the size of the ship we would need to send, just to send a small colony out. And yeah. granted, it's not the size of one of these, you know, three mile long imperial, you know, cities. But yeah. actually, it's got to be pretty big. I mean, and you're talking not sending out the type of crap that they're bringing, you know, the giant terraformers and all the, the machinery. You're talking like, you know, like Firefly World, where you're sending out people and equipment, basic equipment, and they're going to live off the land like like freaking, like, you know, oh, like yeah. settlers. Yeah, cowboys, you know. Without all the big metal, you know, they're going to live off the land, wood and and animals and stuff. And you still have to send something enormous. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, we we already see it's just part of human nature as well. If you go back and look at the um, the the massive ships the Japanese built, Second World War, the size of the aircraft carriers the Americans have, you know, the, the huge tanks they were trying to build. Uh, Second World War as well. It was, you know, first thing was, can we make it bigger, more imposing? Can it do more? Um, yep. That is just human nature. So, naturally, when you're out trying to destroy other stuff, you're going to want the biggest, meanest, baddest thing you're going to have. Um, and, and particularly when you start getting involved with these Xenos races and they're coming up with stuff like, Oh, I don't know, you know, the Elder got their Wraith Knights and whatever, things like that. You're going to sit to yourself and think, hold on, we want something that big. Exactly. You need something that can lay siege to these places and, and just shrug off everything. So, 
yeah, I I just don't th- I I can't imagine and wouldn't want to imagine a 40k that's different. That that small scale sci-fi is for a completely different um uh, IP. That's that's something else. That's just not you know, at the end of the day, the writers bring it down to human level. You can still go down to that human level story and have everything quite small and have, and they do in certain places, you know, have that right. quite small story. But this is about, you know, seven, eight foot tall superhuman warriors right. running around, smashing face in. <laughs> it's, um, I'm good with uh, that. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. I think, yeah, I think we get into that. I think 99% of people are. In general, you know, bigger is better. Yep, absolutely. Something us Brits have learned from you Yanks. It's all good. Well, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so going through some more of that feedback, um, Maybrick was one of the first to reply, and he he was started the conversation about Abnett's writing style. Right. And, um, and throwing us in, but, and it seemed to be very, fairly mixed all the way down as to whether people like it or not. Just that initial bit of throwing, throwing us into the story. But as I said, I think, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. You know what to expect. That's, I, I right. think some of his, his comments were a bit harsh, um, that it was lazy and things like that. I just think it's a writing style. Yeah, and I think I, I think I kind of opened that can of worms, but it was for an interesting discussion. I don't, I don't dislike it so much as you know. I, it really it, it caters to people who are big fans, and I mean, who else is buying this stuff? To be honest with you, it's mostly guys who are fans of the series and know their Legion numbers and know their. It, it, it rewards people who who know their their minutia, you know. Yeah, I think I think the Legion numbers is just something that's uh, prevalent through all the books, and right. Don't want to say the same Legion names over and again, so it's very easy to say a nickname or a Legion number to break that up. But um, oh, sure. and that's what they would do, and that's like, and I just I always bring up the Legion number because it's the most obvious one in my head because I don't I can I just and I don't know why I don't learn it. I've been reading these long enough now where I should just know them. Like, this is one of those things where I should just memorize and get it done with, you know? I always forget a few. I always get a few mixed up. It's just the, <laughs> it's just my mind can't hold that information. But yeah, um, the, the throwing us into the, the center of the story, um, as a storytelling tool, it, it provides, sometimes it provides that bit of kind of um, urgency. You haven't got that build up to something going on. You haven't got that little bit of backstory. You've got this dude in a situation and they've got to get out. Right. Um, and most of the time you're well aware that this is going to be a person you're going to be following for the story. So it doesn't take a lot of working out to know that, you know, they're here. And and if you read, if you just carry on reading, it's like, I always think it's a bit like when you go to the cinema, and particularly with, uh, you know, particularly with a, a woman. My mum will do it. Who's that? In the first scene. And you're like, like, I, I don't know, because I'm watching the film at the same time as you, but I'm sure if we wait five minutes, it will all be explained. Exactly. And, <laughs> My mum does the same thing. And it, it is, it, I mean, maybe it is a sexy statement, but it does, in my experience, it has been women far more than men, and I don't know why, just... My, no, my kids it, do it too. I, I just, you know... 
<laughs> maybe it's just the, the people I know. But um, yeah, yeah. So I think if you just kind of if you give it five minutes and just trust um, that everything will be explained. There are some authors that maybe wouldn't trust to explain everything properly, but I think with Abnet and and a, a few others in the Black Library, I certainly would. Yeah, and you can run into. I mean, you can run into the exact opposite end of the spectrum with people, you know, bringing every little thing in, every little step, giving every bit of backstory right up front, and that can make for some boring reading at times. So, turgid, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, not everyone's going to like it at the end of the day because everyone likes different things. So, that's that's the way it is. Um, As for making up words, um, he 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 did compare. Dan Abnett as a jobbing writer compared to J.R.R. Tolkien as a literature master. Yeah. Um, and A, I think that's harsh. I think jobbing writers are quite a harsh term. Um, right. At the end of the day, this bloke sold a lot of books, uh, novels, and he writes his own novels outside of the 40K universe as well. Um, and that's on top of all his uh, comic book work and computer game work and everything else. So I think I think maybe that's a little bit harsh. But um there seemed to be part of that seemed to be the fact that he he uses words to try and as, as again as a lazy tool. And I'm like, well in and, and Tolkien never made up words kind of thing to use, but there's a very different aspect between a fantasy universe and a sci fi universe. Um within fantasy we understand a lot of the things that are going on. Um Generally, it's only magic, which is something that we don't have in this real world or have a a link to that we can understand. But when you're creating a sci-fi world, then you're going to want a thingy-majig that can do what's it um, and 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 create that sci-fi element of it. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Foundation series Asimov. Uh, oh yeah, had his atomizers and things like that. You know, right. And you need you need to name these things, and you can't name them after normal, ordinary stuff because it's not very. It, it kind of pulls you out of your environment. No, I I agree. I mean, if you're gonna have if you're gonna invent an item, you're gonna have to give it a name. You know, yeah. I well, I invented a massive weapon that does something that no other massive weapon does. I got to give it a name. So exactly, you know. yeah, and, and, and Abnitz mainly because he's been one of the longest writers, well, the longest writer for Black Library. Um, he's named quite a few things because he's used them first, like data slates and things like that, before iPads came around. Um, you know, you had to call them something. Um, and Voxcasters, you don't just want a radio. It doesn't quite, you know, it works similar to that, but, you know, this we're in a sci-fi world. They'll call it something different. It's going to take a, a lot of Latin roots because you've got that whole gothic feel for it. They use a lot of Latin roots for a lot of these things. And game, yeah, and game, that's a Games Workshop staple. So, yeah, I mean, ninety percent of the time, it's it's fairly easy to understand what they are. Every now and then, you're going to get something where the writer thinks he's written that and it works fine for him, um, but someone doesn't understand it down the line, and sometimes that's an editorial issue rather than a writing issue, but. I think in general nowadays, earlier on that happened a bit more, but nowadays they're pretty good with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on on that note as well, now we've got all these um, heresy books. It wasn't that long in that they starting to employ someone to just check that they were all canonically accurate. 
and there wasn't too many crossovers. And this is why reading um, Battle for the Abyss, I haven't got a hardback because that book needed a lot of looking into because there were quite a few things which didn't quite add up compared to the other books. So it needs a lot of tinkering, maybe just with names or dates or little issues like that. Um, but you know they they are looking they are looking at these books now when you get the hardbacks there shouldn't really be any issues with uh timing discrepancies or or or, or many issues there's always going to be wibbly wobbly timey wimey because of the warp uh, <laughs> travel um and a few little bits like that but in general they're going to add up so that's that's another thing that that we've got to remember as well but now that if something's written in there and it's in a hardback particularly or in the later books then that's been okayed by the people who are looking for these errors. So it's in there for probably for a very good reason. Gotcha. So, yes. Um, there was a quick note. Someone got a bit confused between the Cabal and the Cabal. The, the Dark Elder in 40K have um, Cabals. They're called Cabals. Oh, well. right, right, right. Um, so it's it's very simple. It's just a similar term there. I mean... Uh, kind of probably came from a similar sort of beginnings. So the the cabal we meet in in the heresy is a very different beast from the the cabals that are in the Dark Eldar book. Yeah. So they're they're warrior groups and things like that. Whereas this is obviously a group with various missions and goals, and yeah. contains much more than just Eldar. Someone brought up an interesting. Uh what interesting it was like you know i like the book it's pretty good but one beef that they had was that that uh what's his name that stabbed a primarch yeah i was getting onto that old um it was the luciferian wasn't it um, right yeah i can't remember his name chain right yeah, that was an, an interesting an interesting concept of there are occasions where non astartes have really hurt primarchs later on in the books but this isn't, um, sorry, non-primarchs have hurt, not a primarch, so uh, an Astartes has hurt them. Um, but this is a non-Astartes getting right. into Yeah, that came from Captain Morgan on our forums, and he was, he called BS on just a, a non, not, a, you know, a, a human. A, 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 you know, even, even, even a really well-trained human getting in there and getting a, uh, and, and basically stabbing one of the primarchs. Yep, maybe. Um, I mean, he was he was totes hard, but um, maybe Alpharis let him. Um, uh, One of those things where they stab you and then you just kind of pull the sword in through you to get them up right next to you. Yeah, or just to kind of, yeah, or just to be able to go, yeah, you stabbed me, well done. I'm going to kill you now. Or let it happen just to let him see how little it actually hurts you. Yeah. yeah, Really? You want to do this? Maybe was that good that he got one blow in, but yeah, it was. It was you know when it was brought up, it's like it's a bit. Yeah, I suppose we have to show that these primarchs aren't just superhuman killing machines that can't ever get hurt. That's true, because um, we've only really seen we've really seen Horus brought down by a magic weapon uh, and a curse, and then we've seen poor old Ferris, but he was killed by a primarch true. with the, with the demons. So, but even then, I didn't. I didn't see anything in the book that indicated that he was sort of like, "Really, you want to? All right, here, take a free shot." No, you know, there was, there was, there was none. 
maybe it was just a little bit loose in that in that instance. But yeah, um, it kind of comes in with people talking about are the are the um, the twin Primarchs are they slightly uh, how much different are they from their brothers? True, which is something that's not really covered here, but. Um, I mean, I, th- I think I think it's fairly obvious they don't quite have that same effect and imposing kind of nature as their brothers do. We see every time we've seen Horus, people drop down on their knees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, they blend in more with the with the yeah. rank and file Astartes. These guys do. Yeah, and then maybe there's talk. Uh, there was some talk about maybe there being a psychic effect that allowed them to appear less less primarchy, but that doesn't quite fit in once you get around certain people, I don't think. Yeah. It's just a part of their nature, um, maybe how they were created, that they are slightly less obvious over... I mean, they at the end of the day, their legion has been set up to gather knowledge um, and subterfuge and everything else is all part of that. So it, it plays into their aspect in that respect. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, also Big N's got some of the toughest humans in the galaxy protecting him. Yeah, we I saw Chain. Chain was doing some pretty awesome things through that whole that whole book. So yeah, I mean, there was he was getting a lot of respect from guys who, I mean, even when he was fighting, you know, we've got a guy who's living three, four hundred years. I mean, he is that guy. Chain was the one human who was standing up to. Operatives from the Cabal, you know, a start line of starties. So you know what? I, I'll give him, I'll give him one shot on a Primarch before it winds up costing him his life. Uh, you yeah. know, it's not like he actually did any real damage, is it? No. The day it was like, oh, well done. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of how it was, wasn't it? He kind of it's one of those stop, look down, huh? You hit me. At the end of the day, it could have been that. Primark walks in and goes, well, I'm not in any danger. Uh, oh, oh, actually, he hurt me. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Fool. You know, and just didn't give him any respect as a warrior because he's just a human. So there's lots of possible explanations for that, but I don't think it's necessarily a, a major issue. Not 100% unbelievable. No. So it just reminds you again, you know, Primarchs bleed. Yes, um... And then we also had a really uh, cool email from Tim Bocknecht. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show. Um, he was inquiring about the timing of the events of the book and whether they occur pre-heresy or post pre-Horus turning or post-Horus turning. It's fan. Um, and I think it's fair to say it's pre-the turning of Horus. And the reason that Horus wasn't aware of what's going on was because the Alpha Legion were playing it by the book. They were like, no, we're loyal, we're loyal. Oh, what's that, Horace? You want us to join you? And, oh, yeah, our, our daddy's a bad boy. We'll come join you, Horace. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it, they had to play like, yeah, I get, okay, I see what you're saying. I remember this email now, yeah, because... They have to play the long game. Um, they're, they're working, the idea is that they go and work for Horace to achieve ev- eventual, you know, glory for the Imperium's plan of destroying chaos. And well, knowing... Yeah, Go ahead, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. Jump, I was just saying, knowing about it ahead of time would have 
at the very least set off a couple of bells and whistles on Horace's end. Like, what do you mean you you know? Like, who else knows? The paranoia level would have ramped up. Yeah. Because then, you know, I could just picture, well, we need to take out this cabal too now, you know? Yeah. They, they can't know my plans. And that then... And, and at the very least, Horace would be watching them all the time. Oh, yeah, exactly. So by, you know, they, they just keep... Horace sent messages out to anyone he thought he could turn, and we saw Fulgrim was sent to the Iron Hands to, <laughs> to bring it to him, so it didn't work out. But he did that to all those legions that turned. He was like, you know, have a quiet word, have a little feel. Um, and we've seen the way the Alpha Legion work. They'll be like, oh, okay, this sounds... Oh, you can't do that to the Emperor, but it sounds interesting. Play Horace along a bit. And then eventually, yeah, okay, well, we're in. So, yeah, definitely definitely Horace wouldn't have known. I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure. Um, so, and, and, and in that respect, I don't think you can look at the Alpha Legion as being an instigator of the events that happened because they, they would show their hand in some way. And that's just not them. They like to remain behind the scenes. Right. I'm kind of, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, and you bring this up with, you know, the, because we saw one attempt to turn a legion with Fulgrim and his, uh, I guess you could say rather ham-fisted attempt yeah. at, at turning a legion. Um, it would be interesting, I think, to see, like, in the, you know, some of Horace's, the way he did it. Sure, yeah. Um... Although I don't think we ever will because... It's still hard for me to picture what would turn. I we we saw what you know we see later on when we see. I think it's first heretic. We see how the word eaters or not, not the word eaters, the word bearers. Uh, yeah, there's turn. there's that aspect that that gives some real insight into into the word bearers and their pivotal role. Um, we do see in. Uh, Angel Exterminatus, a lot of Peterabo of the Iron Warriors, his reasons for joining. Um, I think there will be more flashbacks, little flashbacks, not, you won't see kind of, this is why we turned, but I think you will see the odd little snippets of, um, particularly, particularly as we move through the Heresia, say we're 30 books in and it's like the march to terror now, and right. there's, still a lot of changes that legions are going to occur in within legions so i think there is still a bit of time for a little bit of that kind of kind of uh, looking back on on what happened just a, maybe a paragraph here and there but we certainly get some ideas from Perturabo and i think angron as well about their reasons for coming along and Perturabo is a brilliant yeah, that one I'm looking forward to. The Angron one doesn't surprise me all that much because he seems to, I mean, well, let's face it, he's pissed off at everybody. But the way the Emperor came and said, no, we got to, you know, this has to be done. The way the Emperor came and collected him before he could do oh, yeah. the thing he wanted to do. <laughs> he's pissed off all the time. This That that seems like something that would always just sit in the back. Like, he seems a little easy. He was, It seems that Angron... Angron and Fulgrim seemed like probably to be the easiest two to manipulate to the to the way he wanted it to be. Yeah, the Angron one doesn't quite work as like straightforward as some people think in that respect. It's more the fact that he doesn't care about anyone ruling him. Um, 
we see in the first books when they talk in the Forge World books when they talk about Angron. You know, he he was brought up on a slave planet uh, you know, as a gladiator, etc., etc., and he just doesn't like the idea of anyone telling him what he can and can't do. But there are it's very easy to look at Angron in that two D kind of way, but there is a lot more going on there. And we do discover little bits of that, um, and there are some important events that occur uh, pre heresy which do affect his decisions which we see in uh, betrayer well cool then i'm looking forward to that then because yeah we got fulgrim as well and fulgrim <laughs> we discussed that at length but you know fulgrim. fulgrim yeah i feel so bad for him i still feel bad for him he's just he was such a rube he got played on every angle by every side and fell for everything yeah <laughs> yep so hey hi um one last bit was not actually feedback this uh this information came from the black library weekend oh, okay. uh, there was a lot of chat about um as we go through the books we we almost always see the alpha legion working in this small groups behind the sh- you know in the shadows uh behind enemy lines etc etc doing crazy crazy stuff and some people mentioned that actually they're a bit fed up of reading about the Alpha Legion doing this and that and this. Um, and the response was from the book writers was, yes, we've been, we've overdone that. Um, and people seem to have forgotten that the Alpha Legion are space marines who can fight as a legion. And when they need to, they'll drop 40, 50,000 people on a planet and destroy it. Um, just like any other legion would. Um, and Dan Abnett kind of, was sitting there and he said, yeah, people, people forget that Legion, and maybe I don't think it was necessarily written as overtly as it needed to be, um, or could have been. The whole of the book of Legion is the Alpha Legion preparing to make Planetfall as a Legion. So when we look at that group on, on the planet doing their sneaky sneaky, that is just them laying the ground down so that when the Legion strike, they can hit the major targets that they have to straight away. Oh, okay. Th- so, yeah. so it wasn't just they were sending a handful of guys to help fight this war. They were sending a handful of guys to then win the war by forgetting about the Imperial Army and just putting Space Marines on the floor. Cool. So... It's very easy to get drawn into, and I'm guilty of it. I say, I think maybe there could have been a little bit more of a hint in this book, which might have helped. Um, but yeah, there's nothing to stop, say, 20,000 Alpha Legion turning up a planet and just going, right, bolters ready. Here we go. <laughs> so, and, and, and that goes for all the legions. Every legion's got its kind of speciality. But that doesn't mean that they can't just, they can't either strike hard and strike fast or, you know, sneak around the side or just line up in a big long formation and go marching in yeah that, that is true so although these they have aspects which dominate their kind of backstory and their, their perceived play style and things like that yeah they're still space marines at the end of the day that is so. a good point because i you know i i wasn't even thinking about that i never picked i never picture alpha legion dropping in huge numbers and, and doing that i just constantly picture them in the little small, small, yeah. uh, you know, units. Those small groups, are the, they're the ideal, that they go and put these small groups in, weaken certain areas, and then when they hit, the enemy can't respond in the way they want to respond. 
that's that's the ideal. But you can't always do that. Sometimes you've got to bombard them from space and then, as I say, land 50, 100 tanks and a few thousand <laughs> men just smash, smash crap up. Yep. So, yeah. Awesome. I think that's pretty much the... Um, uh, the feedback that I, I covered. Yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. I think I think most people uh, enjoyed the book. Yeah, I I think the worst we got was that it was just okay. That uh, someone did say how they basically went through an entire book for the last five pages. Yeah, but he then compared it to watching um, The Usual Suspects, Black Corn. Uh, in that it was once you get to that last five pages, you're looking back on the rest of the book. Um, also, someone else mentioned that it was it was nice not to be able to. They said that halfway through the book, you know, immediately the book they worked out who they knew, who was the good guys, what you know, who they needed to follow, etc. And then halfway through the book, they realised that actually maybe I've been looking at the wrong people, which yeah. is kind of how the Alpha Legion work and really fits into that that aspect. It was Grok actually, find the traitor. He was trying to work out and he thought he got it but um but it didn't work out how he thought it was. <laughs> uh, and it's good, it's good that, that it's a very different book in that respect. Yeah. It this and, this was a real huge shift. Um yeah. and, it, and that laid the groundwork for you know, as we move down the Horus Heresy now, you've got a lot of different styles of book coming up, and you know, quite a lot later on for you. But book thirty-one, I think it was, the Damnation of Pythos, is supposed to be a bit of a horror, horror book. Um, I didn't really kind of get it. I'm not really a horror man anyway, but yeah, it's supposed to be the first, the first Horus Heresy horror book. So interesting. Yeah, bit a bit of variety. And how far down the line is that one? What book number is uh, that one? 31 off the top of my head. It could be wrong. Uh, 31 books in might as well have a horror novel. Why not? Yes. A little Spice never heard anybody 30 books into a series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I think, okay, I think we're pretty much wrapped up with the uh, with the feedback, um... yep. Alright, so we have one uh, last thing. I guess before uh, before we wrap up today, we uh, we did get uh, uh, I got an email a couple months back from a gentleman named Anthony McMahon, and uh, <laughs> Anthony uh, has gifted the show uh, a prize to give away, and it is it is quite a princely prize here. Um, and it actually gave us something for the for Garage Hammer as well, but. Um, we, we we're going to be giving away a copy of Space Hulk, the 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 new the new version of Space Hulk, twenty fourteen version. Yeah, um, which I mean that's that's just all sorts of kind of exciting, um, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- talk about a fan of both shows. Sent us. Uh, uh, we've got a copy of Dreadfleet that we're giving away on the on the uh, on Garage Hammer as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I need to enter that competition. <laughs> so we've got a copy of Dreadfleet coming in, and we've got a copy of uh, of, of Space Hulk, and he sent them both to me. Uh, shipped them on his own dime. Just, hey, love the show. Here, you have these to give away. So 
um, we, <laughs> as the new year rings in, I've had these for a couple months now, and as the new year rings in, we will be giving away a copy of uh, Space Hulk. You know, another thing that as I'm reading this, like, I just, I still, <laughs> just the concept of the Space Hulk kind of confused me. It's like, so it's really large ship. Well, not necessarily. Well, what is it? It could be a bunch of large ships all just smashed together in space. Yeah, a, a, a space Hulk is a. It started off as one ship and then has, you know, during its travels through the warp and through real space, has collided with asteroids or other ships or whatever, and has grown to the extent that it can be miles and miles and miles long and wide. Um, and then within those ships, they kind of they seem to kind of merge as they're in the warp, and and. Then orcs going inhabit them, and tyranids go and inhabit them. It's all very, you know, it's 40k based. So the, they then become really dangerous things because they can hold millions of orcs and these things. They they can't warp travel per se, but they they just drift slowly through space. But if they come across a planet, then they'll disgorge thousands and thousands of orcs onto planets. Um, so the idea is for the Imperium is partly they want to try and stop these things but it's a you know you would it would become a massive battlefield of its own so one idea is to send in these small groups to to disable engines or try and destroy the whole thing but also the mechanicum wants a piece of it because some of these ships can be ten thousand years old going back to the heresy the great crusade so there's all this possible lost architect on there that the mechanic like oh we want to we want to explore all this so yeah these small groups of Terminators are sent on in general. And there's a few books. Um, trying to remember the Space Wolf one I just read. It's part of the Nijau. I think it's Nijau Storm. I think it's called Stormcaller, where they they explore a um, a, a Hulk and describes it quite well. But yeah, so yeah, so playing the game, you're playing on these corridor pieces. Um, it's got a very alien feel to it. What with the Gene Stealers being a little bit kind of of that ilk. Uh, tight corridors, things running up and trying to drop down and not necessarily knowing where all the enemies are, just seeing a blip on your on your little radar. So it's got a bit of a second alien movie feel to it, in, in, it's at least in this version because it's infested with Tyranids. Yeah, Tyranids like them in 40k. It's a good, it's a good way to spread the, um, the, the Gene Stealers, which are the, the primary invasion force for Tyranids. Right. So, yeah. And, um, and the game, the game's brilliant. It's, you know, time turns. The Space Marine has action points that he can use and some command points that he can add on to that or do stuff in the Gene Stealer's turn. Um, but in general, you start getting to that point where the, the Space Marine player, the Terminator player's got a lot of decisions to make and three minutes to do it in and take all of his actions and try and complete the mission whilst he knows that, that around that corner, there's about 20. Gene Steelers waiting to come and rip him apart in combat. Yeah, it's. it's, it's I I got I did buy, I I missed the last version of it to come out. So when this one came out, I made sure to get one. Yeah, and uh, the, the models are amazing. In two thousand, oh, yeah, two thousand and nine, I bought three copies. One for myself. One I sold to a mate for pretty much cost, and then the third one I sold the parts. I've still got a lot of the bits. And made my money back on the other two. There you go. <laughs> Miniatures are that popular. Um, everyone else was doing it at the time, so I thought, why not me? Um, and this uh, 2014 one sold out extremely quickly. Yes, it did. 
<laughs> I was glad I was able to get a copy. But uh, now I have two sitting here, one for me and one to give away. So um, if you want a copy, and who doesn't? Yeah. Then uh, here's basically what you have to do. Um, you're, you are going to be the star of your own Space Hulk adventure. So um, you're going to write yourself into it with uh, what's the what's the what's the head guy's name, Greg? It's a sergeant, space marine. Well, actually, I mean, we'll call it the sergeant. You won't be the librarian. Um, so <laughs> you are the sergeant of a of a, a, a unit of Terminators going into a space Hulk. You can be this is 40k, so you can be any chapter you want, or you can choose one of the uh, original legions and. Um, yeah, give us your name and your mission and why you're there. And any other thing that you, you think might help improve your chances of, of winning the prize. And uh, this will not be on the regular show thread. We have uh, a list called Contest Threads on the forum. So, yes, you will have to come and sign up onto the forums to do it. Um, just you know, go in, go to the forums, garagehammer.net slash forum. Uh, you do have to introduce yourself and say hello on the introductions page before you can, um, before you can post anywhere else. Um, and then just head down to contests and it'll be over there, Space Hulk contest, and tell us who you are and and why you're there and what's so cool about your particular uh, Space Hulk adventure, and uh, maybe. Uh, We'll uh, read a couple on the air if we have time and go over our favorites. And uh, and someone's going to be getting a free copy of Space Hulk. Sealed, unopened, beautiful copy of Space Hulk. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like it's a this, crazy prize. Yeah, this is not something I was expecting to give away, so. <laughs> it's not something I would have purchased to give away on the podcast. So thank you very much. Who, uh, what was his name again, the gentleman's name? Um. Oh, Anthony McMahon. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. That was uh, that's amazing. Yeah, seriously, this is just it's just silly. It really <laughs> is. I mean, seriously, that's I mean that's a couple hundred. The two games are a hundred bucks a pop. And then he shipped them to me. He's like, "Dad, ah, don't worry about it. I'll ship it out to you." I was like, "Oh my goodness." Yeah. So, are we going to choose our favorite or? Um. Well, you know what? Go. Go to the contest thread, and it will say in there all the and details. It'll say, yeah, it'll have all the details because you know we, Greg and I, will hammer out uh, the details once we get off the air here because we probably should have planned this ahead of time, but whatever. Um, we'll get it figured out, and we will uh, we'll put all the all the details on the uh, contest thread for you, and uh, it'll be there. And uh, but you got to enter it doesn't really matter how we're going to pick it if you don't actually get up there and enter it. So, Yeah, and while you're over there, you can leave us feedback on the uh, on the relevant threads on the episode discussions as well. Absolutely. And get involved in the chat because the chat's only as good as you guys make it. So, yes. Don't, don't rely on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a good idea. So, so yeah. well, I guess that's it. We're wrapped up. Um Unless you had anything else you wanted to add, Greg? Uh, I mean, just one of the reasons we're not doing a topic uh, on this episode is is partly because of my podcast, so it's, it's kind of my fault. 
but doing topics for my podcast and then trying to do something that's a bit different over here because I know some people do listen across is a bit awkward. So if you do, do want more heresy um, chat, then please come listen to The Imperial Truth. Um, we do do some spoilers, but actually there's not as many as I first thought there would be, and we tend to kind of you know, prefix that we will be spoiling stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of chat about the gaming, but also bit about the um, the books as well, the background and events. So yeah, sure. join us on there. All right. So um, yeah, we're wrapping up our notes and stuff, and getting a recording time scheduled. So Battle for the Abyss is coming up in the and, not too distant future. Yeah. So this might be our first uh, one episode book coverage in a while too. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, and hopefully moving on from there when we get onto Mechanicum the, the turnaround will be a little bit quicker I, we do apologise for the delay on this one but um, as I say we'll, we'll talk about why that is but thanks to you guys for yeah. and we've been apologising for the delay on every one of these but I mean yeah this this was a little bit a little bit more I think I think um, this I think was bad but I've also I mean real life real life does get in the way and uh, yeah and I think we were a bit overambitious, or I certainly I was uh, at the start. So, yeah, we're we'll saying get through them. We'll get through them all. We're yeah. having too much fun not to. <laughs> so, all right, folks, we will see you in well in a little while with uh, Battle for the Abyss. Until then, I'm David. I'm Greg. This has been the Legion feedback episode, and until next time, the Emperor protects. Death to the Force Emperor. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Eleanor. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Eleanor. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Eleanor, at Child of Fang for Greg, and at Garage Hammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.